0: Hebrews, we're back in the book of Hebrews. Uh, By the way, the men do the coffee, because it says it right there, Hebrews, right? So, Hebrews chapter 6, sorry, it's not going to get any better. Let me just say thank you guys, thank you so much for praying for my family and I and allowing us the time to kind of get away and get refreshed, Uh, though I have learned, Disney is not a place to refresh your batteries, (laughs) it will wear them down. I mean, we were war-slap out uh, by the time we finished, but it was, it was good. It was a good getaway, good time with the family. Did get to visit some other family. Got to surprise my niece in Savannah, and uh, that was a good opportunity. Don't get to see her very often, and she turns 30 this year. Man, and so uh, it was a good, good visit there. Uh, we still continue to pray for her salvation, so it was nice to, uh, to visit with her. Uh, again, thank you guys. Appreciate you holding us in prayer, and, and, and uh, again, it, there, there was a little R&R. Thank you, my brother. Appreciate that. Uh, by the way, I'm flying solo today, just in case y'all didn't know. It's just how we roll. Anyway, it is good to be back. Hey, please come support your softball team, okay? Um, there is a good testimony to be seen when God's people gather together and support one another. And that is a public opportunity for you to support one another. Uh, We have guys and gals who who get out there and play, and and it's really nice to have a cheering section on the sideline. And I will say this. We have a tendency, CBC, in our sports, to if we fall behind or get down, we kind of just get down and check out. That's where the sixth man comes into play, all right? The fans. The fans can help boost the morale and get the guy's head and gals back in the game and fight to the end. And so uh, I encourage you to come out support that. we got games Monday and Tuesday. So please, if you can, uh, we play, you know where the, where the uh, Express Walmart is on 70? The Friendship Church right there across the street, right? What is that, New... New Hope Friends, yeah, New Hope Friends. Right there across, that's where we'll be playing. So if you can make it out, please please come out and join us. Hebrews chapter 6, and we find ourselves continuing. Uh, We'll take a pause in a couple of weeks, Father's Day. But uh, for the most part, we are in Hebrews through the summer. And we find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 6 today, verse 13. And I've got 7 through 3 up there on the screen. We probably won't make it uh, to even maybe verse 18, uh, but this is where we're headed. So let's just go ahead and read the full context there. And uh, notice if you would here in verse... In fact, let me back it up to verse 9 because uh, it's been a couple of weeks. Uh, By the way, thank you, Mr. Nate. Excellent job uh, last week and Sunday school. If you didn't show up for Sunday school, man... Y'all need to get in here. This is some good stuff. And so I appreciate that, and I appreciate him covering last week. We were tuned in, uh, trying to tune in, but we were traveling, and it kept going in and out. So I only got two of his three points, but I told him I'd check it out later. But good job what I saw. Look, if you would, chapter 6, verse 9. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Though we speak in this manner, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you've shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints, each one of you, uh, and do minister, I'm sorry, and minister to the saints and do minister, verse 11, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, He obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Verse 17. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of His counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible For God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. With this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Father, I ask your blessing on the preaching of your word, the teaching of your word, the reading of your word. We pray for every listener that's here today. Lord, that you will open our hearts, open our ears, open our eyes to see, help us to have understanding. Lord, we cry out to you for knowledge. We ask that you make these mysteries known. Lord, if there be anyone here that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that they will flee to the refuge, that they will lay hold the anchor of their soul in salvation. And so, Lord, we ask that your will be done. I pray for clarity of thought. Lord, I ask that you will fill me with your Spirit, that you will do as you've promised, You will not allow your word to return void. Let it go forth and accomplish your will today. In Jesus' name, amen. Encouragement so you can endure. I don't know what you're dealing with this morning. I don't know the troubles you face. I don't know the stress and the things that are weighing on your heart. But I know this, if you can comprehend, understand, allow the Word of God to penetrate your heart this morning, allow that seed to germinate, allow it to be watered, allow God to bring the understanding and increase, this passage this morning that we're looking at is one of the strongest passages of hope that you will ever read. There is so much encouragement found right here in this scriptural passage. And so my prayer is that as you leave here today, no matter what you came in carrying, you will lay it down. And you will cling to the hope that is set before us in this passage. Think about what the writer of Hebrews has done here. He's just gone through one of the harshest warnings, one of the strongest rebukes that you will find in this letter. You remember this is, the book of Hebrews is is centered around key warning passages because of the audience, because of those non-believers that are apostate and going to go away, and they're trying to pull people with them to go back into the ritualistic things, the life that they're comfortable with, the things that they know, Judaism. And then it's also those that are there in the midst that they're being written to that are one foot in, one foot out and that they're not quite sure if they want to surrender and follow Christ. And I would say that that is a strong warning and argument is written to them and no doubt there are people here that are in that category. And so there's this encouragement for them to surrender their heart and life to receive by faith Christ as the finished completed work on their behalf stop trying to labor in your own strength rest in the completed work of Calvary and then for the believer practically speaking you know I I, I, look we get weary sometimes we backslide we talked about that sometimes we we fall away in the sense of just not following faithfully whatever reason but true believers endure true believers endure Yeah, you may fall off the the old bicycle or the horse but you get back on right That's that's one of the things that we'll see here. That's one of the evidences of saving faith, the perseverance of the saints. And so, again, this whole thing that kind of goes back and forth a lot of times, you know, you Baptists, you believe once saved, always saved. And this is one of those passages that kind of gets tossed back and forth and, and misunderstood. And so here's something we're going to see very clearly. Hopefully we'll see very clearly. True saving faith, true saving faith produces fruit. We don't work to salvation, we work from salvation. We know a lot of people who did well and ran well for a while and they fell away. And so questions asked. So you think somebody who who can, can, you know, they're, they're saved... But they're no longer in the church they now deny Christ they're living in sin they're on their way to heaven because they prayed that prayer they checked that box At the end of the day we don't know their heart but here's what the Word of God is making clear in this passage and this is why there's such a warning for people who name the name of Christ who say yeah 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 I know that I did that You need to examine, has that seed truly been birthed? Have you truly been born again? Or are you just partakers of the Holy Spirit, not possessors? Maybe you have tasted, but you've not eaten. Because Scripture makes it real clear that if you have been born again, you are a new creation. Old things pass away, and behold, all things are becoming new. And so if you have a stronger appetite for the things of the world, if you have a stronger appetite for following after pleasures than delighting in the things of God, in following after Christ, guys, we need to examine that heart. Paul said examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Yes, you may just be backslidden. You may just be in a dormant state. Maybe apathy's creeped in. Maybe complacency's choking that out. But here's the difference. There's a desire within your heart to not stay there. You're wanting to move forward. I think it was Dean and I were talking about this the other day, and and I was talking about a lot of times, you know, people come through and counsel with me, and and I said, one of the things that The fact that somebody even cares to come and sit down and talk about their spiritual life is a good indicator. It's when they get to a point that they're not, they just don't care, they're not interested. That's concerning. And I believe that's part of the passage in this, the the people that this passage is highlighting, those who, who, who were coming to the promised land, but they never entered into the rest. They wandered in the wilderness and they died because of disbelief. See, some of them didn't have saving faith. Many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did I not do this and did I not do that? They were partakers of what the church was doing, but they were not possessors. And I believe that there are many, because God says, many, who have it here But it's not truly germinated to the point of understanding. And there's not been an experience of the new birth. So I want us to think about this as we look through here because, again, these warnings are not to necessarily... It's not to leave you discouraged. It's to get you to do some introspect because upon doing that, and you get your heart right, you know what's going to come from that? Encouragement! You're going to be encouraged in that. You're going to be built up in that. So, let's take a look. Let's dive in. We looked at verse 9, of course, last time that we're here, and he he had had this shift from that warning uh, to the, uh, but beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation. Uh, And and again, he's saying, look, uh, I'm not expecting that from you You believers. There should be some fruit. There should be some proof in the pudding. The author wants to encourage the readers. And, And so look what he says here. He goes on, he says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you've shown toward His name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. So, this is what the writer is trying to encourage them. We want to see the same diligence in each one of you. And again, that's all three audience. He's saying, Look, my prayer is the same as God's. I'm not willing any should perish, but all will come to repentance. So, whether you're the apostate ones going away, whether you're the ones sitting on the fence, or whether you're the believer, I want to see each one of you. I'd, I would love to see that same diligence to the full assurance to the full of to the full assurance if you're doubting your salvation this morning God wants you to have full assurance of hope until the end that you do not become sluggish and remember we talked about that that was the same as he talked about in 511 those who were dull of hearing and they 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 ought to be teachers but they they just again they, they need to have the foundation laid again of the elementary principles. They, they understood the oracles of God, but they didn't understand the oracles of God. The ABCs were pointing them to Jesus Christ. So instead, they wanted to go back and hold on to their traditions. Don't become sluggish. Don't become dull of hearing. And again, this is a warning even for us in a practical sense, believer, Though we can't lose our salvation. Isn't it easy if we're not careful to become sluggish? Kind of slow in our walk? No longer interested. You get more excited about the things of the world. Hey, look, I was glad to go on vacation. But there's something wrong if my vacation is more enticing and more exciting than my relationship with God. Sometimes we've got to take the car in to get a tune-up, right? Sometimes spiritually we need a tune-up. That's okay, guys. If you're feeling that this morning, if you're just being honest with yourself and you are a little bit more, you you know, I'm just going to be honest, God. I'm I'm more excited about fill-in-the-blank. My family, football, vacation, lunch, It's okay, we need a tune-up. We need a tune-up. Now those things ain't wrong. Don't become sluggish. But imitate those who through faith and patience, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. Okay, now we're gonna get into today's subject. Imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Some have said this, is, uh, so this passage we're getting into um, is sort of like an on-ramp. You know, Coming onto the highway, you get on the on-ramp, it sort of merges you in to the subject of Melchizedek. Now we're gonna get into the study of Melchizedek in chapter seven, and so just just hold on we're going to try and go through that as quickly as possible but also as thorough as possible there's not not a whole lot there that we can can work with but we'll go with what god has given us but you notice here he says imitate those and and i believe this is a just sort of a teaser sort of a pre-taste to what's coming in chapter 11. Because he's going to give us, in chapter 11, the great hall of faith, right? He's, so, so if you want to know, he's saying, look, okay, you, and again, think about his audience. Predominantly Jewish, they understood the Old Testament. Imitate those. We're going to get a long list of people to imitate in, in chapter 11 when it comes to the subject of faith and it comes to the subject of patience, right? So we'll see that but I think here's a little teaser before we get there so who better on the subject of of an example of saving faith and and what better example for the Jewish audience than the example of Abraham right I mean think about it Abraham is the father of the faithful so the author is going to again To encourage them, he's going to give them this example of one to look to as an example. And again, the Old Testament is given for us in the New Testament as an example. Notice what he says here in, in the text. For when God made a promise to Abraham because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Now let me stop for a second because we kind of need to get a little bit of background before we understand where the writer's going. One thing that we know about the writer of Hebrews is he has a strong grasp on the Old Testament. That's one of the reasons why I think it is the Apostle Paul who wrote this. But the example he cites is Abraham. And there's two things he's going to bring out here in the text that's very important to help us in the area of encouragement. I loved Sunday school this morning, Nate, because you hit on... I mean, it's like only God puts these things together. One of the first things that... I probably should use the right remote. One of the first things is the promise. I'm gonna go ahead and give you the second. God gives Abraham a promise and he gives an oath. Promise and an oath. Now a promise and an oath is only as good as the one giving it, right? Or by that which they're swearing by. But when God's given a promise, we need to take notice. So let's look at this, the promise, all right? God's promise to Abraham. You can hold your spot here, but we're going to go back to Genesis. And and, and for time's sake, I'm going to probably, no, let's just go. We'll just read it. I just won't elaborate on it too much, hopefully. Go to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. Got to keep my AVT guys on their toes back there, right? Genesis 12, and listen in verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to find to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, there are, most say three, but there are actually four key passages in Genesis that we often refer to in this sense, the Abrahamic covenant, the promise, the agreement that God makes with Abraham. And you notice we see it first here. Now again, think about Abraham was a pagan. He's, you know, when God calls him out, He calls him out of this life of debauchery, if you will, out of a pagan background or culture, if you will, and says, not because of anything Abraham's done, but because of who God is. But notice, he says, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. So then go over also to Genesis 15. And you know Abraham believed the Lord. He followed the Lord. He trusted what the Lord had to say. He obeyed. There's a good indicator. There's a good application. Notice in chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord, God, what will you give me seeing I go childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, Look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look, now toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord, God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? So he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these things to him and he cut them in two down the middle and placed each opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds in two. And when when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said uh, to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. And there we see, again, God speaking of what would happen when uh, the Israelites were uh, held uh, by the Egyptians. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. There's the Exodus. Exodus. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, that, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And he goes on and he he, he speaks of the, the people groups. So what's going on here? God is giving Abraham a promise. He's making a covenant with him. Now, normally when you think of a a, a type of um, contract, you've got two sides, equal parties, that's not the case here. And the Scripture indicates it. This is God's work. God is making a promise. Now, I want to notice something because, again, just because God makes you a promise, let's just be honest, sometimes you you have questions, don't you? We can read God's word, but but what about, but what about? and, And here's the case. God is saying, look, from from your loins, from your own body, you and Sarah, you know the story, you will conceive a child and through this uh, this seed, the the, the blessing will come. And he's like, look, man, I'm an old dude. I ain't going to have no kids. You remember uh, Sarah laughing and and you know the whole story. But God has made him a promise. And God will keep his promise. And so, uh, again, because God's namesake is, God's name is at stake here. But notice what, um, what Abram says here. Abram questions there in the passage, what will you, what will you show me? What will you give me to, to help me understand this promise? Did Abram's question mean he doubted God? Yeah. Do you sometimes doubt God? You ever... Seen a promise and, and, and wonder because of your circumstances, is God really listening? Look, Abraham. Abram was no perfect example, right? Remember when he, he traveled to Egypt himself and, and he was in fear of his life and so he told his wife to lie and say he, that she was his sister? <laughs> Did it twice, by the way. He got impatient with God's promise and tried to take matters into his own hands now We never do that do we we never try to get ahead of God and do things in our own strength. You remember that story? Oh, here's my maidservant. I think you should lie with her. Well if you insist dear You know, you know that story, right? But that's not how the promised seed was going to come. That's not the promised child I'm glad God uses examples like this because it gives me and you hope encouragement because again it's not about me and you and what we do or don't do it's about who God is and his promises it's about his word again going back to what you learned in Sunday school this morning it's about his word well God's given his word yes Abram questions God yes he doubted but there's a difference between a doubt hear this There's a difference between a doubt that denies God's promise and a doubt which desires God's promise. Oh, that's good. Let me say that one again. There's a difference between a doubt that denies God's promise and a doubt which desires God's promise. Abram wants to believe and is looking to God to strengthen his faith. By the way, David Guzik. I got to cite my source. Excellent quote. It's the ones not coming in, saying, "Pastor, I'm struggling," that I'm concerned about. The fact that somebody's struggling and they're willing to, there's a desire to follow God. There's a desire to want to get things right. By the way, in the story, God represented by the smoking oven and the burning torch. You remember that? Think about it. Here's what God, God has said. Okay, you want some evidence? I'm like, here's what we're going to do. You bring me these sacrificial things. We're going to lay these things. Okay. Fall asleep. Abram goes into a deep sleep. So did Abram have any part in what God was doing? No, he's asleep. Like a lot of you right now. <laughs> anyway, I, I can see. Um, he does the work. You see these things illustrated, which represents God, going in between the carcasses that were split in half. This is the way, oftentimes, when an agreement was being made, there would be this contract. But in this case, Abram's asleep. God's the one who implements it. God's the one who does everything here. Guys, let me say this. Your salvation is not contingent upon you and what you do or don't do. This is the problem I have with people who believe in eternal insecurity. Because that means you can do something to lose it, that means you can do something to get it back. It's not about you. That becomes a works-oriented salvation. You can spin it any way you want, but what other way is there to spin it? God did the work. God offers the promises. God's Word is at stake. God's integrity and character is what's on the line. Therefore, the certainty of the covenant God makes with Abram is based on who God is. Not on who Abram is or what Abram does. This covenant cannot fail because God cannot fail. Did you hear that? In a sense, the Father walked through the broken and bloody part of Jesus to establish His covenant with us. And God signed it for both of us. We merely enter into the covenant by faith. We don't make the covenant with God. By entering into this contract, there's a sense in which God was saying, if I don't keep my word, let me be put asunder. God was putting his deity on the line as a confirmation of his oath to Abram. This covenant God signed alone. Abram did not haggle with God over the terms. God established and Abram accepted. Abram cannot break a contract. He's never signed. A divine covenant is not a mutual agreement on equal terms between two parties, but a divine promise assured. McLaren, good points. All right, well, let's let's go back over to, to Genesis 17 real fast. Because again, God's making these promises. God's wanting Abram to understand this stuff. Genesis 17 And if you look in in verses 1 and following. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. This is when it changes. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make the nations of you, and I will And kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God's making Abram a promise. People, the land, blessing, right? We'll go back over to 6, Hebrews 6. Why is this important for us to know? Why do we need to understand this? You need to understand that or you're not going to understand Hebrews 6. Notice what he says in Hebrews 6. He says... For when God made a promise, verse 13, to Abram, uh, to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. Now this is actually a quote from, and we haven't gotten there yet, but Genesis 22. All right, this is an exact quote from Genesis 22. Let's go ahead and go over there for time's sake. I'll go ahead and read that. Hold your spot there. We're coming right back. But let me just go ahead and give you the exact quote here in Genesis 22. We interpret Scripture with Scripture, guys, the whole counsel of God. All right, here we go. Genesis 22, and let's look in verse 1. Now, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son. See, at this point, he's received his son, Isaac came, all right? Then he said, take now your son, your only son, your begotten, only begotten son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God has told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men stay here with the donkey the lad and I will go yonder and worship and and will come back to you and again look at the imagery here look at the foreshadowing here look at the typology here so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering the cross and laid it on Isaac his son Jesus and he and, and notice what he says he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together but Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said my father and he said here I am my son Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it upon, up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord Will Provide, Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So we're back in Hebrews. by the way that that hold your spot there in Hebrews I'll just I'll just read it I didn't I didn't keep reading but I'll read it for you He goes on and he says this In Genesis 22 he goes on and he says So then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. And your seed... Singular, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Now it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham Abraham saying, indeed, um, anyway we can stop there. So Hebrews 6, here's what he says. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could not swear by one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you. But notice verse 15. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Let me ask you a question. Did Abraham receive the promise? Did he get the land? The nation? The blessing? See, now we're going to get into some (laughs) some doctrine. It's a little too late to be getting into this doctrine. This is where we get dispensationalism and covenant theology. Okay? So whichever path you choose, be wise, choose wisely. Like buttoning a shirt if you get off on the wrong button by the time you get to the end. Why do I say that? Well, let's look at something. Hold your spot in Hebrews 6. It says here, he obtained, what what does it say right there? It says, and so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. That's what it says, right? It says he obtained the promise. That's what the Word of God says. After he patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Well, let's go over to Hebrews 11. Because remember, I said this is the teaser. This is going to get us into the subject of the faith, right? These are the great hall of faith people we're going to get into in chapter 11. So now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then he gives us this long list of people to to imitate. Well, who's in in verse 8? By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive an inheritance, right? He went out, not knowing where he was going to go. Abraham is cited here in the great hall of faith, right? We'll skip down to 1139. Because he goes through and names all these different people, and then we find in verse 39 of Hebrews 11, and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith, ruh what? Did not receive. Oh, watch out now. See, out there, y'all can't trust that Bible. It's got contradictions. Did Abraham obtain the promise or did he not get the promise? You know what my answer to that is? Yes. Yes. It's a difficult passage, but it's not a contradictory passage. You see, this is the thing that happens in the Old Testament. We've got typology, we've got foreshadowing, we've got partial fulfillments. We know that they obtained the land. We know that they possessed the land. We know that at times they fought and they never entered into the rest fully, remember? That's why they had to always continue to fight. That's why eventually they were taken slaves. That's why they're not in the land now. That's why there's still dispute going on in the land today. So there was a partial, in Abraham's life, there was a partial fulfillment. We see this. This is is the thing about prophecy. Old Testament prophets, a lot of times, there's a short-term fulfillment. But it has long-term implication. So some people will go down the line and create a theology... But guys, we've got to hold a biblical balance. These things, and this is what the writer of Hebrews is going to say. These things are completed and fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Isaac's not the seed. How about the seed in Genesis 3 that was referenced? That's the... Uh, what is it? Pro-evangelism. That's the first reference of uh, uh, of the gospel in Genesis three, when it when it speaks of God says, "Out of the seed of the woman." Right, so it's a foretelling of Christ's coming. The seed. That's being referenced is the same seed that's been referenced from the beginning. Christ Jesus. These types and foreshadows are pointing to the person of Christ. This is why the book of Hebrews is all about guys. You want to you talk about Jewish tradition? Alright, well, let's talk about Abraham. The revered father of the faith. He didn't bank on religious things. In fact, he's asleep when God makes the covenant. It's all on God. This is a promise to Abraham, through Abraham. And so, we see the promise. We see the oath. Notice God's oath in Hebrews 6. Back over there real quick. So, he says to him, um, 16, for men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation. Guys, there's your encouragement. You might want to underline that. We might have strong encouragement who have fled for refuge. What does this mean? Well, let's try to wrap this up. First off, let me say a few things here, too, before I get away from... I don't want to leave you hanging where I just talked to you on, on the Abraham subject. Let's see if we can tie this up a little bit. You remember... You remember when Jesus was walking the earth and he met some Jewish people who were like, we're of our father Abraham. John 8, you know that passage? remember he said yeah we're of our father Abraham he says no you're not you might be physically in lineage part of Abraham but you're not of your father Abraham if you were you would do the works that Abraham did oh there's the proof in the pudding there's the proof in the pudding Christian oh we got a lot of people say Lord Lord we got a lot of people say yeah I'm a Christian I prayed that prayer yeah where's the proof in the pudding Jesus said, if you were of, he says, if you were of your father Abraham, you'd do the works of Abraham. No, 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 you're of your father the devil. I'll try that one the next time somebody's living like the devil and they claim themselves a Christian. See how that well, I probably won't want to get that. Go to Galatians 3 9 real quick. This is too good. We've got to finish this, guys. Hang on, hang on. This is I know a little, little you know, history sometimes bores people, but this is good history. We've got to lay this foundation before we can really start to understand this. Galatians 3. Galatians 3. And remember what was the problem with the Galatians? Same problems we got going on in Hebrews. They wanted to go back into their Judaism. They wanted to go back into those things. In the traditions. Notice in Galatians 3. Let's pick up in um, verse 5. Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. You know what this is reminds me of go over to James James 2 James 2 17 thus also faith by itself if it does not have works is dead right So what is the writer in Hebrews giving us this example of Abraham for? Because guys, he wants these members to know. He wants you to know. He wants us to understand that he did something, he did something to provide a way. Hebrews tells us that Abraham was so trusting in God's promise and God's oath that he knew if he ended up killing his own if he ended up taking his own son's life, he believed God would raise him from the dead. He took God at his word, and when you believe something, there are actions that follow. Is your faith believing faith? Saving faith because of the object, not because of what you do or don't do, but saving faith will produce within you. It will put fruit forth on your tree. We weren't saved by good works, but we were saved unto good works, Galatians 2.10. So we see God's oath. He goes on in Hebrews and says, Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, who are the heirs of promise? You are. Those Old Testament saints who had faith in the coming Messiah. Because in Christ, the wall of separation has been torn down. There is no Jew or Gentile. Now, there is still a branch called the Jews. And there is a branch called the Gentiles. And we were grafted in. The vine's the same, Christ. And there are some promises to the Jews that were made that will be fulfilled. this is where our dispensation theology does us justice because promises that were made to israel aren't necessarily promises that are made to you now there are spiritual implications and applications but don't confuse the two hold a biblical balance so god says that by two immutable things what are the two immutable things what are the two things that can't change god cannot lie it's impossible for god to lie so he gave abraham a promise and he gave him an oath that promise and that oath was who How is the ultimate fulfillment for Abraham's promises going to be realized? Through Christ Jesus. The whole point of this argument has been in the letter of Hebrews Jesus is better, Jesus is greater. All right, let me talk about your father Abraham. Imitate him, he believed God. He took God at his word. He believed in that promised seed coming through his loin. He believed that one day there would be someone who would enter into the world. He believed the word of God. It was accounted unto him as righteousness. The writer wants you to be encouraged. And how are you going to be encouraged? By these two immutable things. The promises of God and an oath from God. God cannot lie. And here's what he says to you who are the inheritance. Those, by the way, somebody's got to die to get an inheritance, right? Who died for you? Jesus Christ, and rose again. You see, he's laying this out for these writers. He's trying to say, guys, it's not by works of of self-righteousness. God has given you the provision. God has made the way. And he says this. Notice... Verse 18, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong encouragement who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. You know who the promise is for? You know who the oath is for? If you tuned out, tune back in, hear this. Right there in verse 18. You want to have strong encouragement. Who's the strong encouragement for? Those who have fled for refuge. Have you fled for refuge? I mean, have you genuinely in your heart realized that it's not by your works of righteousness? There's no going to church. That does not save you. Reading your Bible and praying doesn't save you. Have you fled? Have you fled to the only one, the refuge, the anchor of your soul? Have you fled for the refuge to lay hold of the hope? In the Old Testament, we're told about the refuge cities. And this is what I believe because this writer has a great understanding of the history of the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, if you murdered somebody, if you committed a crime and you unbeknownst that you did this, there were certain cities set up, six of them, three on one side of the river, three on the other side of the river. You could flee to those cities because you were in fear of somebody going to take revenge on your life and kill you. And so you could go into that city and you could find refuge. It's not like the refuge cities today. Don't let them confuse you. And we have a story in the Old Testament, in the, in the, in the King's account, and Numbers 35 talks about the city of refuge. But 1 Kings, first 50, Adon, uh, a, a, I'm going to say it wrong, Adon, uh, Adonijah, fearing Solomon, Solomon, he feared Solomon, fled uh, to the, uh, I'm sorry, not Solomon. Um, so, anyway. 1 Kings 150, he he flees the king, he's afraid he's going to kill him and so he goes into the city and he takes refuge in one of those cities and the story goes that he goes into the, the altar and he grabs hold of the horns of the altar. And this was an act of humility to say, God, help me, save me. Now, I believe the writer is, is picturing this when he says this. He says, look, flee. This is encouragement are those who fled to the refuge to lay hold of the hope. Who's the hope? Jesus set before us. How do I know Jesus is the hope? Because he says it right here in verse 19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, who entered the presence, who blazed the trail to the Holy of Holies in the the heavenlies, where the forerunner, Jesus Christ, has entered uh, even for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the the order of Melchizedek. Nate talked about not being tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. He talked about the anchor and how you put the anchor out. Guys, this anchor is upside down. It's in heaven. It's in the heavenlies. And it's beyond. It's in the, he sat down at the right hand of God. It is anchored. God cannot lie. He has promised you eternal life, not temporary life. Flee the worldly passions, flee the things that steal your heart and attention, grab hold of the hope of the future. Jesus Christ is coming again for His own. That is the only thing that counts. That is the only thing that matters. That is what is most important. That is God-consuming. That should be where our focus is. That should be where my heart is. That should be where my love is. So what is the hope? Christ. He's life's anchor. You're having problems this morning. You're struggling. He's your anchor. He's the anchor of your soul. He's your answer. You want to imitate somebody look at the example of Abraham. He believed God, he trusted God, he took God at his word. Take God at his word. Don't let your circumstances steal your joy. Focus on Christ, the author and finisher of your faith. The answer to drifting if you're drifting and the things of this world are stealing your joy, Hebrews 2.1 talked about not drifting. It's found in the anchor of our soul. Here's the answer. The writer's giving you the answer of what he just warned you about earlier. He says, be diligent to avoid growing dull of hearing. Too. If you're getting sluggish in your walk, here's the answer. Be patient. Endure, Saint. This is a marathon, not a sprint. Flee to our refuge. Lay hold of the hope set before us. Let's pray. Father... A lot here, Lord, I, I can't help but feel like we are a people in great need, starting right here, everything else, tugs, pulls. We just sort of drift Sort of float to the waterfall If we're not careful There are many in our midst Who will go over that fall Crushed to the rocks below And the end of that is destruction It's impossible to renew them again Those were not believers. No doubt they thought they were. No doubt those people who went out with the Israelites and saw the miracles of God and went through the sea thought they were good. But they doubted. In the end, they did not enter the rest. Many will come that day and say, Lord, 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 let this message be an encouragement that we'll examine ourselves. Not that works saves us. Works do not save us. But if there's a genuine desire, there's been a fleeing to the cross of Calvary. We've truly grabbed hold of the forgiveness of Christ and begged for mercy and Redemption and recognizing it's not of us, but it's of you. That should change our life, change our direction. Yeah, We may fall, we may stumble, and we will at times. But Lord, help us to continue to press forward, being patient and endure. Abraham was not perfect, but he believed you. He took your word. And he pressed forward. Lord, help us as believers to trust you, to claim your promises, to hear your oath. It's your name that's at stake. And those are two immutable things that it cannot change. When somebody swears, they swear by the greater. You could swear by none greater than yourself. The point of this message is, God cannot lie. He's given you assurance. He's given you comfort and He's given you your your promises. Believing. And let that belief result in action. And there will be fruit in our life. To your glory. In Jesus' name.